Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, we'll be exploring possibilities for an ecstatic culture. My guest is Bill Pfeiffer. He is the author of Wild Earth, Wild Soul, a manual for ecstatic culture. For many years, he has been leading wild nature intensives. And now, I'll switch over to the internet interview. Welcome, Bill. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad to be here as well, Jeffrey. I was very interested in reading your book that you reference my old friend, the late Terence McKenna, who talked about what he called the archaic revival. And it struck me that although I don't see anywhere that you're advocating the use of psychedelic drugs, that you're work is very much in the spirit of Terence's work. Very much so. He's one of my heroes. Uh, I met him uh, once, uh, and he, he at the end of his lecture, we actually met outside the bathroom, and he said to me, it's all about love, Bill. And I never forgot that, because as uh, as vast and as sophisticated as an intellectual uh, you know, he just, he got right down to it in a very, very human way. And I, I appreciate him for that. Um, as far as the archaic revival, revival goes, and for that matter, psychedelics, um, you know, you wouldn't be having me on the show if you didn't realize that, uh, the human species is hopefully in the midst of a huge, phase change, a, a, a paradigm shift of enormous proportions, but it's not going to happen if we don't actually intend it. And so, so much of my work is about remembering that kind of fundamental original wisdom that we have in our DNA and, and using whatever, <laughs> whatever nonviolent means are necessary to achieve that. And yeah, I, I'm very upfront about it. I think the, I think magic mushrooms, for example, are very, very potent. And if they're used properly and ceremonially, um, I like groups. I don't do it like Terrence does it all by myself at a room somewhere. I just think it's, uh, it, it, it's a necessary tool these days. You mentioned the use of uh, ceremony, and I know that you have personally been involved in working with indigenous people all over the world and participating in their ceremonies, and that an important part for you of building an ecstatic culture is drawing upon the wisdom of these cultures. There's this original wisdom that is very much um, about our intrinsic energetic oneness with nature. And that, that sort of sounds abstract and, and could be, could be seen as kind of poppy poppycock or fanciful thinking. But the, the proof is in the pudding. And whenever we 
experience a, uh, a, a, a subject object dissolution, we understand this kind of fundamental truth of our existence. So, so whenever I'm with native people, I mean, that are practicing traditionally or they're in ceremony, what, what I sense is that they're, they're teaching about not only this oneness with the universe, but also our reciprocal relational, uh, what would you call it? Soup that we're into with that we're, we're involved with all our relations. And, you know, just let me add on there, which is for me, what's growing more and more alive in me daily is this idea that so-called out there is family and that we're in this beautiful conversation with the plants and the animals and the minerals and the stars. And it's that conversation that just brings so much life and beauty into our, our sort of dead universe that we've been, we've been brought up, we've been brought up in. Well, you referred to the uh, phrase, all our relations. And I know that amongst the Lakota Sioux in particular, you hear that expression used all the time. Yeah, metakwias and all our relations, all my relations. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, the more we're in this reciprocal, respectful, communicative, and, and I would say fundamentally loving relationship with the wind and the stars and the birds, you know, and on and on and on. And as for that matter, inanimate, so-called inanimate objects, uh, we're just in a whole new ball game, Jeff. Like it's, it's just, it's just, it's a, it's, it is the, I like to see it as it's the, the par, it's the new paradigm, but, but then, Western Civ has kind of added something very beautiful into the mix. And that, you know, that basically t take the best of Western civilization, get rid of, the, get rid of the colonial crap. And we're in, we're just in such a juicy new, like, uh, uh, spiral. We're in a new, uh, a, a new part of, of the evolutionary spiral. And I, I'm so excited about that. Well, civilization itself has lots of problems. Now, colonialism that you've mentioned is certainly one of them, but that's not where our problems end. <laughs> it seems, you know, the modern civilization has brought us to the brink of destruction. I think you're offering an antidote to that. However, you make a point of saying we can't force this ecstatic culture on people at all. It can't be a top-down sort of imposition on people. It has to spring naturally. And is it happening? That's absolutely right. It's uh it's a self-discovery pro process, and it's a um, it's a community process. I believe it's a local process. It's absolutely not top-down. Uh, is it possible? Sure. 
Um, and all sorts of crazy stuff is, is, is possible. I mean, if, if fish can walk on the water and dinosaurs can end up learning how to fly, uh, you know, all sorts of things on planet Earth are, 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 are possible. So, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see or our, our, uh, our descendants will see. Uh, but I'll just, you know, I, I like, I, I get, I get very inspired by these questions. And I think it's, you know, it's about being a good ancestor and giving it up to the highest. And when we feel into some inspired truth, like the archaic revival, um, we give it all we've got. Well, all we've got, of course, we don't even know the, the limits of uh, what is possible humanly. But as I look out on the universe, I see, you know, there are stars that are exploding. There are galaxies that are colliding. There are probably billions of planets that have civilizations such as, such as ours, and not all of them are going to survive. It seems to me that the, the possibility for intelligent life forms to develop and cultivate a civilization and, and humans with our aggressive nature, we, we are facing the very real prospect of self-extinction. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that if, if, the majority of humans knew how close we actually were to the precipice. It's a little bit like death and instead it's it, personal death as in mega death and just sort of like having that sort of Damocles and instead of freaking out going, Oh my God, it's a miracle to be alive right now. What can I, what can I do right now to make my children a better, a better home right now? Right this second. That's a wonderful question, and I hope all of our viewers are taking it to heart. I know in your life, one of the major decisions that you came to make was to uh, set up these 10-day-long intensives to bring people out of uh, the, their cities into the wild. I mean, I actually think you can do a Wild Earth intensive in the city, and I'm, I'm, I'm contemplating that uh, because it's all... It's all energy. Everything's part of nature. Uh, our humanity doesn't end in the city. But, but, but to take your question on face value, yes, I think it is imperative that we get off the phones and the computers and we um, get together in ceremony and nature connection and storytelling and mu music and art and listening to the elders uh, and, and getting and quieting our minds down uh, and playing with each other that the, these are all uh, these are all so fundamental to our nature. We're so tribal uh, in, in the good sense of that word. And it, it's just like an old muscle. I see it happen over and over again. We exercise that muscle and then it's like, oh my God, this just feels so good to be with my brothers and sisters in this way. You use the phrase tribal in the good sense of, of the word, because often we hear about uh, tribalism in the bad sense of, of the word. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Jeff, like words matter and, you know, we see them bandied around all the time and we read about them. And so I'm like, yep, we don't want Taliban tribalism, but we do want Lakota tribalism in the in the traditional sense. So, it, you know, what do, you, what do we mean by that? But, you know, for that matter, I, I, I should qualify. I don't I I. I one of the things that comes across, and I just finished his book, John Perkins' jo Touch the Jaguar, and what he brings out is that tribalism kind of has been alive and well in, well, alive and bad in many indigenous cultures for a long time. And that so the emerging planetary culture uh, makes friends out of former enemies. So, so... So in a sense, this is a great question. I think what we're moving from is from tribalism in the competitive sense to tribe of the cooperative sense of really learning that true tribe is, is cooperating for the greater good of all. How do you define tribe? You know, I, I don't know. How do you define it? <laughs> Well, I grew up Jewish, and, and so we, we came from a tribal culture. For the most part, to be honest, I've rejected that. I, I, I found it, for myself, unhealthy. I have many uh, Jewish friends who are uh, devout, uh, and, and I respect them. There are many beautiful things about the Jewish religion, but one of the things that I've observed in tribal culture is that it, it tends to have the insiders and the outsiders, and typically the insiders look down upon the outsiders. In various tribal cultures, it could be political, it could be academic, but it seems to me that it, it's not all-embracing. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Um, I'm Jewish as well. Uh, my mother is Jewish. My father is German Catholic. I grew up in a left-wing secular uh, background, um, which allowed me to learn about spirituality and, for that matter, Judaism on my own terms. And I'm very, very grateful for that. I don't, I didn't get, uh, I didn't get uh, indoctrinated uh, in in that in that tribal way, and so when I look at Judaism, I see the best and the essence of it. And I think fundamentally, what we're talking about here is a um, a kind of an up leveling of our perception of our fellow human beings and who we are in this universe and what's going on here. And just in our lifetime, uh, we've seen this, uh, we've seen the planet from space. And I, and, and so again, just to use that, that, that term, uh, planetary culture, like the idea that right now, I, let's say it was, it was, um, yeah, it was even 20, 25 years ago when I could barely, when I could barely communicate with my friends in email. I, you know, the emails would take sort of 10 hours to get back and forth. And it was a strange time. And here it's like, boom, I can, 
I can set up a Zoom call with somebody in Lake Baikal for the next morning and we can talk just the way you and I are talking now. So this this compression of how we experience ourselves as humans for those of us who are fortunate and abundant enough to have enough food and computers and so forth to experience this. It's, it's absolutely, utterly astounding as any, as, as you know, and as I'm sure our, our, our listeners know. Well, you mentioned Lake Baikal, and I recall that you, you have had personal experience with the shamans of Siberia, the original people from whom we derive the word shamanism. Correct. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because, um, Sitting on my desk is this card in Russian uh, that only Russians will understand, but it's from a, a shaman named Moonheart Aicharek in Tuvin, and she um, uh, she's on the other side now. But um, in 2002, um, I ended up sleeping uh, in, in a, in a small, uh, a small little Siberian house, uh, in separate beds with her and her, and her and her sister. And, um, at five in the morning, she woke me up with her mind. She was sleeping. I felt her talk to me in my dreams and then wake me up and, and I have never experienced anything like this before after she instructed me to go outside and I would see the remainder that my existing and the remainder of my spirit guides in kind of in living color. Um, and that's exactly what I, what happened, it was a, it was, the understatement is revelatory and exalting. Um, and then the, the next day, she did an amazing fire ceremony with both the, um, the small number of people who were, uh, in my group, uh, and the entire village of maybe 150 people. And I'm saying all this because she was a star shaman, the most powerful person I have ever met. And not, at, not because she, she used telepathy with me, but because, um, she was pure, she was pure power. It was like there was no, there was nothing separating her and her energy field from the rest of nature in the way that she expressed herself. Uh, and so she's one, and I've met um, dozens of shamans throughout Siberia, including uh, uh, Buryatia, which is the area around Lake Baikal. And, and Jeff, they're not too shabby either, but I, I just, uh, I'm bringing her up uh, partially to honor her memory and her heart, uh, you know, just just such a remarkable woman. And people can YouTube her if 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 they want to know more. 
I find it fascinating. You've made a point of uh, participating in ceremonies with shamans around the world. Do you think of yourself as a shaman? The most wonderful part of being with uh, native elders and medicine people and shamans and healers and leaders uh, all over the world is that I've been a fly on the wall. And I, I, I really mean that. Like, I, I somehow, I was taught, just shut up and listening. Just shut up and listen and don't exert your big white body into the into the mix. Just just be a humble dude as be, as best as you can. Um, and so I learned a lot that way. Like I learned a lot. I feel like I actually did get a training, um, an informal training. It's some formal, but mostly informal. Um, and as far as that title goes. Um, I do not think of myself as a shaman. Um, that that title is only bestowed upon you by your community. Um, I uh, I do use the word shamanic guide because I think of myself as holding the space for people to have their own revelatory experience that everybody has the numinous deep inside of them. And so if I can be a catalyst for that, right on. Now, I know there's a controversy of sorts regarding the importation of culture from indigenous people. Some people think of it as, as cultural theft uh, of a kind. And on, on the other hand, many Native people are eager to share their culture and many are not. So, there, there's, I, for example, in many interviews, I suggest to viewers that we are the inheritors of uh, spiritual traditions from the world over in, in modern culture. But other people have commented and said, uh, that's not true. Not every spiritual culture wishes you to inherit their traditions. <laughs> yeah, well, I, uh, I tend to agree with you as long as everything is done with respect and permission. Uh, so, um, yeah, th this is a huge subject that is so such a work in progress especially for me, because it, it comes up over and over again in, in different ways. But, um, you know, I like the term cultural appreciation. So you, 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 you don't appropriate, you appreciate. And when we go back far enough in our ancestors, ancestry, in our heritage, in our blood, we all come from earth-honoring uh, earth honoring traditions. So the problem here on Turtle Island is, uh, we're, we, let's just, even though we're Jewish, let's lump us together in the white people category. As long as, as long as the white people, colonizers, settlers, um, are outnumbering Native Americans, whatever, a hundred to one, um, we're 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 in a position of either as you as you talked about previously 
of uh, <laughs> the word came to mind, immolating ourselves, self-destroying ourselves here, or we can actually learn from the people who've lived here, who've loved the land longer than anybody, who's, who've developed ceremony, who've developed a way of life that was taught to them by the land. And so if we can come to them, and I, I'm, I think I'm speaking to Americans right now, you know, if we can come to them with humility and respect and say, I'd really like to learn from you and let me know what you feel you're comfortable with me sharing, uh, will, you know, can we go from there? And, and I think that just, you know, that just turns everything around from, 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 yeah, cowboys and Indians and, 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 and so forth. So I, I could talk the entire rest of our time on that subject because it's, it's loaded in a lot of ways, but it's so important. And, and one last thing I'll add. It's very important to have the uncomfortable conversations and it's important to, be um, to be present for the understandable anger that many many American Indians feel about what you know it's there, and to be able to listen through this into a way where um, where my my Navajo teacher Leon Secatera would say. Since you outnumber us ten to one, then you better learn, learn, learn these ways and learn them good. I've also heard from people who say there's a, a risk of romanticizing Native Americans that they're not necessarily as, as pure and spiritual and uh, earth-loving as, as we might think. If you look back at history, there's the suggestion that many large animals were hunted to extinction here in North America in uh, pre-colonial times. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. I think it's, I think that the the converse, let's just say it, the native, non-native conversation is that much richer if we don't romanticize them, for one, to see that every single one of them is human, uh, is dealing with their own problems, uh, and all of the issues that all the rest of us humans face, especially in a colonized wor world that's got us, in a sense, our it's got us by the throats, it's in our minds, uh, this undoing of ancestral trauma, if you will, is a full-time job. So, yeah, Jeff, I, I think that uh, they're not pure, they're not perfect, and as we were discussing before when we were talking about tribalism, um, yeah, there's a, there, there, there's a whole lot of not love lost between many, many Native American tribes, uh, pre, um, uh, pre-colonization. Um, so it's always to me about taking the best and leaving the worst. Um, and, and, and there's in the, traditional practice by the elders of Native Americans, Native Australians, Native Siberians, there's something fundamentally 
pressure, pre- precious. It's a treasure uh, that that needs to be protected and passed on at all costs. I want to go back to a phrase you used earlier, Turtle Island. First, I thought, oh, that must be where you're living, somewhere on the East Coast. But of course, Turtle Island is is a native term for all of North America. Correct. Here we are on on Turtle Island. And, uh, you know, I was just leading a vision quest and uh, and, uh, one of the one of the guys who who came back out, uh, he he got he a spirit name came came to him, Sacred Turtle. There's a power, um, a slow power that the reptiles and particularly the turtles have. It's like the perspective of what is it called in geological time? I think it's epochs or errors, like of the long, long periods of really knowing the earth from this primordial sense and of kind of coming out through the mud. And I I witnessed him. I witnessed him come out of that. And I said, aha, you know, this is a non-native, but he is completely... Um, demonstrating this uh, energy of of Turtle Island. Vision quest is a term as as well that we hear uh, bandied around all the time. I've never been on a vision quest. I think it might be useful for our viewers if you could describe a little bit more what what that's like, what it's about. It's maybe one of the most ancient rites of passage. Uh, in some ways, you could say Jesus did it and Buddha did it. Uh, you go out into relative, for now and in the past, wild, wild nature, away from people. You're by yourself. You're fasting. You're praying. Uh, you're asking for guidance. Um, you you know you 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 humble you humble yourself before creator and creation uh because we are in some ways jeff lowly humans we're the new kids on the block here uh fr- from a biological sense we need guidance big time and so we do we do uh we do that uh we can do that uh, and I, I highly recommend it for anybody who's in, in decent health at whatever age, uh, because we're all so incredibly overstimulated. Uh, and that quiet time of just like really letting nature seep into our bones, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. There is an old phrase in science, ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. Uh, the, the idea being that even to become a human, starting as a, a zygote, a single-celled organism, and evolving to become a fetus and an infant and then an adult, we go through the entire process of evolutionary history just in being born. Uh, so that's part of our uh, heritage uh, inside our psyche, inside our genes. Jeff, I just got the, sh- I got the chills. It's like when 
biological understanding touches on the divine, I'm just like, oh my God, we get to be born now to be able to take a concept like that and feel it in our bodies and the the the, the truth of it and the wonder of it and the mirac and the miracle of it. And um, you know, I, I that that teacher Leon Secatero that I mentioned and another living Navajo man man just just uh, used the term where five-fingered earth, earth earth surface dwellers. I mean, yes, we have ten fingers, but there's something about this one hand. Uh, can you see the hand on the on the on the red on the red rock wall? We're five-fingered surface earth dwellers, and um, there's something about that. Um, learning of of uh um how does it go ontogeny recapitula recapitulates phylogeny yeah. yeah um there's a connection there that i can't intellectually put together but there is one and i think you know where i'm what where what, what i'm getting at well i think of it in two different ways one is simply the biological organism that I'm uh, experiencing right now started as a single cell and, and evolved to my present body. But there's another sense uh, has to do with what you could think of as reincarnation, that uh, at the soul level, I suspect that I've had thousands of lifetimes, both human and non-human, and, and that I've been around on this planet, possibly, or even other planets, for billions, billions of years. Exactly. <laughs> what you said. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I mean, there's a... The word divine, again, comes to me of just... Uh, divine infinite intelligence coursing through our veins and bones and ancestral memory uh and that all of these um you know i think of stan groff of kind of all of these um psycho spiritual technologies to help us feel this edge we're talking about where we're not just like heads on a stick, you know, and it's all just abstract, fancy, you know, like philosophical thinking, but we actually come into our bodies with this, into our biology, and feel these concepts uh, as living truths. That's when the, the it gets juicy. Well, and of course, the subtitle of your book, Building an Ecstatic Culture, it seems to me that this is the fundamental basis of ecstasy, is, is an awareness of the enormity of our divine essence. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I, Jeff, you really get, you know, you, you clearly have, have studied what my work is. You've read my book, and I'm, I'm, I'm honored you know, I'm, I'm honored to just be heard in this way. We're still left with the, um, how can I say it, the, the paradox that 
we're, fa we're as a civilization, we really are at the precipice of our own potential destruction. We need to pull away from the precipice or we won't survive uh, as living biological entities on this planet. Or if we do survive, it'll be in a very diminished format. Maybe, maybe there'll be a rebirth from there. But uh, on the other hand, death is not the end either. Correct. Um, I mentioned John Perkins, and he's another one of my teachers, and I did a formal shamanic training with him. And I remember coming back from one of his workshops, and I got off the plane, and I was driving, and I felt spirit say, your allegiance, Bill Pfeiffer, is not with the humans, but with life itself. And so... Um, we surrender to the the creative life principle to all of biology as we know it and for that matter all of divine intelligence and whatever will be will be um and i'm very attached to us two-leggeds i love us i think we're just crazy aberrant you know just beautiful in amazing nerds you know we're just like we're just kind of stumbling awkward gangly adolescents shall i come up with some more adjectives and you know and it's like i you know there's all this like what is it called self, self, what's the word for self-hating not misogyny um misanth misanth misanthropy misanthropy yeah yeah and it's in in ecological circles and it's like it's just misplaced you know we're we're just uh we're just traumatized jeff we're just traumatized in so many ways and uh so a little bit of compassion will go a long ways and um you know, Joanna Macy, another one of my teachers, it's like she basically says, just don't, don't get too, uh, don't get, I'm not talking to you, obviously, but it's like, don't get too ahead of yourself in terms of freaking out about what could happen. Um, drop into the ecstasy and gratitude and beauty of life and because death is right here, like ready to chop us apart at any minute, we get to love fully. Like now's the time to love more deeply, like Terrence said, than we've ever loved before. Like why hold back, right? Why hold back? When, when we look at nature, we see basically, and you describe it in your book, two forces at work, competition and cooperation. And you seem to be suggesting that we could just move a little further in the direction of cooperation. Contrary to popular opinion, it's not just cooperation. It's a spectrum between competition and cooperation. But, you know, I... I think the native view is very fundamentally about balance. So we've kind of gone all the way over here to one side of, of, yeah, of imbalance in the competitive sense. And we just have to swing, uh, you know, I, I, I'm putting the weight of my efforts behind, uh, learning a, a much more cooperative way of, of doing business. 
Can you offer any specifics? Well, I was thinking in two ways. First of all, it's looking inside of myself and seeing where are my competitive and for that matter, uh, predatory and um, dominating impulses inside of myself and uh, and bringing them to the fire. Yesterday for, for the autumn equinox, you know, I offered a lot to to the fire. And I think that that, 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 so the, the self purification is part of it, but also as I so, you know, emphasize over and over again in my book, cooperating with other humans to learn how to cooperate is, is my, that's my thesis and cooperate with the natural world in the process. But if humans are divided into camps, uh, as uh, especially politically here in the United States, uh, they're big time and it's very tribal, it seems to me. They have what are known as silos. Uh, they, each tribe is now getting information from completely unique and different sources. So it's hard to get people to even agree on, on what, uh, what the facts are. How, how is one to cooperate in such a circumstance? I hear you uh, loud and clear. I always think of the USA as being the crucible for the rest of the planet. And uh, you know, yeah, we're, 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 we're certainly in a dicey uh, situation. Um, yeah, I mean, as my view, Jeff, is that I can't, I can't do anything about 300 and whatever, 30 million Americans. What I can do is I can um, do the best I can to uh, speak to the people that understand what I'm saying uh, and to reach out. And this is I want to I want to underline this word: local, 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 bioregional, bioregional. We're we're not only not only he we're not only not we're not heads on a stick but we're also uh you know we've got all this food trucked in from california but fundamentally as humans we really need to rely on on the nature that's around us and so relearning that and in case the prophecies of what shall i say you know, a purification, that's how the Hopis refer to it, that that this world as we know it will undergo a purification, then it will be um, uh, important for us to learn the ways of the earth and how to pass them on, which includes the physical uh, as well. But again, just to underline, uh, the, the, before you asked about cooperation, so another word that comes to mind is solidarity of reaching out to people in your community who may not agree with you politically, but get together on food, water, children. What do we most care about? Uh, you know, how do we how do we go forward together? Where are our points of commonality? Uh, you know, we're not going to 
change Fox News tomorrow or CNN for that matter. Like that's somebody else's work, not mine. Well, Bill Pfeiffer, this has been a very delightful conversation. I really appreciate the work that you're doing in the world today. Uh, your focus on ecstasy is vital, I think. I, I know uh, many years ago, my old friend George Leonard wrote the book Education and Ecstasy, in, in which he pointed out it is through ecstasy that we learn the most. Wow, wow, wow. You know, I, my hat's off to anybody in this dominant culture who has the guts to use the word ecstasy because it's outside of the box. You know, the colonial model just wants us to be like not too depressed, not too happy, just good, you know, workaholics and everything will be okay. And ecstasy is like, Talk about revolutionary. I love it. And I'm, I'm, I, George Leonard, you know, is sort of an old philosophical mentor that I forgot all about. And uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that to my attention. I'll have to look at that book. Well, Bill, it's been a real joy to be with you today and to be able to share your, your wonderful insights with the New Thinking Aloud viewers. I hope we can have future conversations as well. <laughs> you, I mean, I, I said it to your face in the middle of the show. I, I mean, nobody's kind of got me this well. Like, I've had a lot of good podcasts in the last six months. But, Jeff, wow, I'm really grateful for you. Thank you. You, you have this ability to um, stay on a, how would I call it, like, you have a certain arc or direction that you are headed towards and certain key points in your brain, but you're also with me, like you're present with me with what I'm saying. And it's a very, uh, it's an unusual combination. Thank you. And thank you for being with me. And for those of you listening and watching, thank you for being with us. Thank you.